in light of that. Um, we are in week five of our Peace and Purpose series. Um, and um, to give a brief recap of where we are, to get us where we are today, all of us in this life are trying to secure peace and purpose within it. Um, and we have been looking for false, we've been looking for false Christs, been looking for saviors, we've been looking for a reason to hope and believe. Um, and we've been looking all over the place for something to give us meaning and to give us a sense of purpose and to give us a sense of identity um, and worth. And so when we stop putting ourselves on the throne and put, and put God on the throne and understand what he's up to, what his is, what's his end game is, it helps us to understand that only through God can we achieve true peace, eternal peace and true purpose. We talked about how, you know, we as this faulty man, we messed up through our rebellion against God, the peace and the purpose that he had already given us. Um, and it's not just to blame Adam and Eve for their rebellion, because despite knowing that Adam and Eve messed up, we have willfully participated in rebellion against God in some way, shape or form over the course of our lives. And so it's not enough to just say, oh, it's all Adam and Eve's fault or even that it's all God's fault. Despite the fact of the knowledge that God has given us about who he is and what he has done for us, we still willfully participated in a lot of stuff that we know we should not have done. And it's because of that, that the wages of our sin is death and eternal death that no man can come back from save Christ who entered the space of no return so that if we repent and believe in him, he can ransom, he has ransomed us and brought us out of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of light. If we repent and believe through his work of the cross, becoming sin for us, him who knew no sin, we now become the righteousness of God if we choose to believe. And that is the gospel message that God is great. He's perfect. He created everything perfect. We mucked it up. And then Christ came to save us from ourselves. Um, and so with that in view, we now move into, you know, knowing this word and knowing what God has done for us, knowing what Christ has accomplished on the cross. What are we to do with that? What are we to do with what it is that Christ has accomplished and secured for us? Um, one of the, um, you know what, first, no, I'm first, I'm gonna first read the scripture and then I'll jump in and say what I want to say. Um, um, yes, very much so. Um, Romans chapter 10, uh, verses eight through 10 is the starting place for us, but we're going to be jumping all around as usual. If you can't notice my lovely tabs over here, um, uh, we're going to be jumping all over the place, but Romans chapter eight, verses eight through 10 is where I want to start today. Um, it says, But what does it say? This is Paul talking to the Roman church. The word is near you in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith that we proclaim. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart, one believes and is justified. And with the mouth, one confesses and is saved. 
Um, there are there's this this guy, um, Pastor Cliff, um, who does uh, who who teaches at a um, at a college in New York, and he I believe it's in New York anyway, and. Every day that he gets up and he's talking Christian theology and Christian, you know, ideas and things of that nature. And in the midst of asking those talking to his the people that he's talking to, he invites people to come up and ask him any question that he has about the about the faith. Um, And more often than not, people are not there to ask him questions about the faith. They're there to challenge him in an attempt to disprove and discredit Christ. And the more that he they try to discredit Christ through him, the more he gives them evidence of the reason for faith. And what I've noticed about a lot of people who get up to challenge him is that they already have their minds made up that they don't want anything to do with Christ. They don't want anything to do with God. Instead, they simply want to prove that they know better than him about who God is, who God's not, and who they are in comparison to God. That they they are they would much rather prove God wrong and find themselves worthy uh, a worthy adversary and opponent to the man uh, to Pastor Cliff than to actually have a genuine curiosity about who God is, who Christ is, and what Christ has accomplished. And what God showed me in the midst of watching these tapes, because I could feel a sense of urgency in my heart watching, you know, how things are going on those videos. What God showed me is that though their their, their hearts are hardened, And what we're witnessing in those moments is what happens when a heart is hardened against Christ. That no matter how much truth you give them about who God is, what Christ has accomplished with the character and nature of God and the fact that God loves them, their hearts are hardened so much toward him that the more the gospel is preached, the more their hearts are hardened against him, which which is good news for us as believers in God who preach the gospel, because what that tells us is that we are not responsible for conversion. We are only responsible for teaching and preaching the truth. Ephesians chapter two, verses five through 10 say this. Now, if anyone has caused pain, he has caused it not to me, but in some measure, not to put it too severely, to all of you. For such a one, this punishment by the majority is enough, so you should rather turn to forgive and comfort him, or he may be overwhelmed by excessive sorrow. Um, Oh, I am in 2 Corinthians. That's why I'm like, this doesn't sound right. Ephesians chapter 2. Like, why does this not sound right to me? We're talking about forgiveness. What? Okay, five through 10. Here we go. It says, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ, by grace you have been saved, and raised us up with him, seated with seat and seated us with him in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that the coming in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace 
in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. But for, for by grace, you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship created in Jesus Christ for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Now, in 2 Corinthians chapter, that was Ephesians. Yes. 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse, verse um, starting with verse 14 in 2 Corinthians. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 5 through 10. 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 14 through 17 say this, and this is the point of um, this is the point of what I just said about Pastor Cliff. Thanks be to God who in Christ always leads us in triumphal procession, and through us spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of him everywhere. For we are the aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing to one, a fragrance from death to death and to another, a fragrance from life to life. Who is sufficient for these things? For we are not like so many peddlers of God's word, but as men of sincerity, as commissioned by God in the sight of God, we speak in Christ. So what is, so what is it that we're saying? It is God who opens the heart to reveal his truth to his, but to the ones who, who, to the one he claims as his own. It is not our responsibility to convince anybody of the truth. Our job is to present the truth as the believers in God, but it is not our responsibility to make someone believe because the gospel is, is the gospel but it is a fragrance of life for those who will live and a fragrance of death to those who will perish. The, the fact of the matter is God wants everybody to be saved, but God also realizes not everybody's going to be saved. And the more that we preach the gospel to his people, the more we preach the gospel to anyone who will listen, some people are going to hear it and they're going to love it and they're going to love God and their hearts are going to be transformed. But others, they're going to hear it. They're going to be upset about it. They're going to be offended by it. They're going to, and their hearts are going to go harder toward it because, and that's because their hearts are hardened against God because they would rather be God themselves. They would rather create a God of their own imaginations to justify the lives that they want to live rather than surrender to the God of the universe, which is why if we were to have a subject, just in case you forgot, the subject for today is allegiance. Because what happens with us as believers in God is when we believe, when we get, when we are, when we give our lives to Christ, when Christ transforms our heart from the heart of stone to a heart of flesh, as it talks about in Ezekiel chapter 36, God, we are now pledging allegiance to God. We are saying to God, I bow down to no other thing, no other person, no other creation, no other thought process except you. I am pledging my life to you. What we have to understand is that the gospel message is not conversion. The gospel message is the gospel message. God created a perfect world. Man mucked it up. 
Christ saved us from our sins and our shortcomings. That is the gospel. With that, with that message, now we have a decision to make if God so decides to give us the choice. When we hear the word of God, what are we going to do with it? When Jesus was when Jesus was on the scene, his his primary message was repent and believe, repent and believe, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. John was preaching that message uh, before Christ came. Then when Christ came, baptized him, Jesus, uh, God authenticated him. And then John the Baptist was arrested, gone. And then here is Jesus. And he picks up right where um, John left off. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Like the, the message did not stop. The kingdom of heaven is near. So repent and believe, repent and believe. John 3, 16, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. And so when the gospel message is preached to us, God is asking for us to repent and believe. Repentance is a repentance is a military term that describes a turning and about face, a turning around. And so when he tells us to repent, He's saying, I want you to turn your attention and your affections away from the things you love, the things you crave, yourself, your thoughts, your desires, your interests. And I want you to turn around and face me. I want you to turn from your wicked ways and face me. I want you to seek those things which are above. I want you to look toward me. Pay attention to me. Seek First, the kingdom press toward the mark. All these things are talking about repentance, a turning around or turning away a 180 from the things that we love and the things that we love to do that are contrary to God. Because here it is. There are things in this world that are good. There are things in this world that God created good. But even the good things that we have can be used in illicit ways that are contrary to how God would have us to use them. The, the biggest topic we can talk about today is sexuality. A lot of us want sexuality to be defined the way that we want to define it. We want to use it how we want to use it. We want to love it how we want to love it. And we want to justify our ability to have it by uh, to do it you know the way that we want to do it when we want to do it how we want to do it with whoever we want to do it with and we want God to approve of it and so we'll justify it by saying well God is love so that means that he loves everybody and it's true he does love everybody but it does not mean that we can because he loves everybody use his good gifts the way that we want to there is a way in which God has designed sexuality to be used. And in doing so, um, we have to, when we repent, turn away from our love for sex the way that we want to use it and begin you, um, asking God, what is the purpose of my sexuality? What is the purpose for sex? What is it that you want me to do with this that you gave me, this great gift that you gave me? How do I align myself with the way that you should, that you've chosen to, um, th that you have decided that sex is supposed to be? And we can say that about sex. We can say it about alcohol. We can say it about 
entertainment. We can say it about, you know, good things. We can say it about jobs. We can say it about marriages. We can say it about raising children, the whole nine yards, even, you know, inter, inter, like I say, entertainment, you know, all these things are good gifts from a good God, but we can sometimes place those things on the throne and in doing so align our entire lives around things instead of aligning ourselves with the creator of those things. So when God says, I need you to turn away from the things that you're doing and I need you to press toward the mark. He's saying, I need you to get your face aligned with where I am and put yourself in position to be where I want you to be. I need you to turn around. That is repentance, turning away from your sins, turning away from your evil, putting those things to bed, laying those things down upon the altar and saying, God, burn those things up because I want to be more like you. I renounce these things. Belief then says, I am staking my entire existence on a thing. How they say it in the casinos, I'm all in. I'm pushing all my chips in. I'm, here it is. I'm placing all my bet on this. What we say when we, we say we believe in something, it's not talking like we believe in the Easter Bunny. It's not talking like we believe in our senators and our politicians. It's not saying how we believe in our, in our, we believe in our spouses or that we believe in our dreams and believe in our goals. It's saying, I am so convinced that Christ is the savior of the universe that if I'm wrong, I'm doomed. I am so convinced that Christ is the one that if I'm wrong, when I die, I am done. That is belief that I am pushing all of my chips in with Christ. I don't believe there is another thing in this world that has the capacity to save my soul. I don't believe that there's another, another deity, another entity, another new spirituality that has the capacity to save my soul. I don't believe in the Zodiac. I can't, the Zodiac ain't going to do it. Crystals ain't going to do it. Ancestors ain't going to do it. You, um, you know, uh, Buddhism ain't going to do it. Yoga ain't going to do it. Exercise and kale ain't going to do it. None of these things have the power to save my soul. My wife can't do it. My kids can't do it. Um, my job can't do it. Um, money can't do it. Vacations can't do it. Good times can't do it. Sex can't do it. Drugs can't do it. None of these things have the capacity to save my soul. So I am pushing all of my chips in and saying, God, I believe that you are the one who will save my soul. You are the one who can bring me peace and purpose. And so I'm pushing all my chips in with you. I don't, there's nothing else that can make this thing happen. I love the song by Cody Carnes when he says nothing, that says nothing else. He's like, dude, I'm not here for no blessing. I, I just want to sit here at your feet. You, know, I, you ain't got to give me another thing. I just want you. Because he realizes there is nothing else in this world that a God can give me in this material world that has the capacity to save my soul. And I'm pushing all of my chips in. I'm, I'm making the, the, the declaration. I believe in you. We see it happening in our world now where 
you know, and, and I, don't, I don't mind talking about it because it's just the truth, where Donald Trump has become the savior of America for a lot of people. They have pushed all of their chips in with him. And he's not the first time that we've seen something like that in history happen. We've seen it happen with Hitler. We've seen it happen with um, Napoleon Bonaparte. We've seen it happen um, in so many other cases. We see it even now with um, with other different, you know, um, political leaders and things of that nature where people will push all their chips in. Let somebody um, say a bad word toward Beyonce. You know, people will raise up in arms and get all up on the Twitter sphere and talk about canceling and all this other type of stuff if they talk a bad word against her um, because they believe so much in her. In that same capacity and same breath, we see it happening, you know, um, with with religious fanatics where they push all of their chips in, believing, you know, in, in, in doing, you know, terrible things to different countries and different nations in the name of their God. What we're saying is that we believe that Christ is the one who has saved our souls and we're pushing everything in. I'm putting all I'm, I'm staking my entire life on Christ. That's what Christ is calling us to do, to repent and believe, to turn our faces toward him, renouncing all other gods, all other things, all other pleasures, all other joys, all other ideas, taking our own selves off the throne and allowing God to be God and putting our face squarely in his face and staking our entire existence on him. That in a nutshell is allegiance. I am pledging my allegiance to God. I'm pledging allegiance to Christ. I want him to have all of me because he gave all of himself for me. I'm, I, I want to love him more than I love anything or anything or anybody else in this world. I want to love him. I want to know him. I want to be with him. I want to enjoy him. I want his pleasures to be my pleasures. I want his joys to be my joys. I want my desires to be his desires. I want my interests to be his interest. That that we are so in lockstep with one another that I become a part of the image of Christ. That he as he's molding me and shaping me, I'm becoming more like him because he's placed his heart inside of me. Now, before I get ahead of myself and jump into the next um sermon, because I, I'm ugh, I want to get in there so bad. What we have to also consider is the fact that most of us, most of us are not going to receive Christ the same way. There was this time where I was, um, uh, when I was um, at a church and I was, um, you know, supposed to be speaking for that day. And the church, you know, was having a, a praise moment and everybody was just going in, going in you know, doing their thing for the glory of God. And I just sat there and watched and, you know, was crying because I'm a crier. That's my thing. I'm, I cry when I get excited about things and get excited about the Lord and start boohoo tears and snot. Um, I always carry tissues with me um, because of that half the time. Um, and the pastor in the back, the pastor of the church at the time was in the back of the church and he was looking at me and, you know, he felt some type of way. I didn't know it. 
um, but he felt some type of way. And he went and talked to his wife about it. And um, he was saying, you know, I just don't understand why he just sat there. He didn't do anything. You know, we're out there having a Holy Ghost good time. And he just wasn't he was just unaffected and everything. And and um, and his wife told him, well, you know, not everybody worships God the same. You know, you don't know what was going on in his mind. You don't know what was going on in his heart. You know, you don't know what God was doing to him. You know what God was ministering to him. You know, he, he I don't know what was going on with him, but I'm not going to sit here and judge him for how he was worshiping God. I don't know what was going on in his mind. And neither you. Everybody worships God differently. You know, he didn't have to do anything in order to be worshiping God. And in that moment, he had to apologize to God, you know, for you for feeling that way. Um, and. In another instance, you know, you know, as I was, you know, minister, we were ministering and playing. Um, we were doing, we were saying the song "Praise Is What I Do" at a particular church, and the church just caught fire. Like everybody was just in a worship moment, praising God and worshiping God, and we're, you know, and we're just continuing to play the song because it's just like, you know, God is ministering to people. Like, <laughs> we let God do what He do. And so that song was going about 15 minutes in and we, you know, everybody's I'm, I'm not complaining. Like everybody's just really having a worship moment. And the pastor there, you know, he was so ready to preach. He told me to stop playing. And the entire moment just was, was crushed, was killed. And he tried to preach, <laughs> but it was the worst, ser the worst sermonic moment he ever had. Because nobody was paying attention to him. You know, everyone was just kind of in this, this kind of low state because their connection to God had been interrupted, you know, by his desire to want to preach a sermon that day. And he came back and apologized. Um, no, he didn't apologize to me, um, but he but he talked to his wife and said, you know, um, you know, I, that, you know, God spoke to me on that thing. And this is that was the worst thing I could have ever done. And I'm so sorry. And I'll never do that again because I should not have done that. I shouldn't have stopped the move of God because I was so anxious to get up and preach. Um, so I'm saying all that to say everybody experiences God differently. And we as believers have to accommodate how a person is revealed truth because everybody that revealed that that truth is revealed to is not going to get up and shout. And have, you know, a whole and, and catch the Holy Ghost just because the word is so good. You know, everyone's not going to be be affected the same way. Um, if we go to the book of Ruth, we find that when she was convinced that God was God, she didn't have a Holy Ghost moment. There was no shouting. There was no praising. There was no hooping. There was no hollering. There was no running around. She simply had a conviction and she declared her conviction. In um, verse number 15 of Ruth chapter one, we find these words. She said, see, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. But Ruth said, do not urge me to leave you or to return from following you. For where you go, I will go. And where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die. And there I will be buried. May the Lord do so to me and more also if anything but death parts me from you. Ruth didn't have a, you know, Holy Ghost shout time. And again, this is not me knocking that. But what it shows us here, she was convinced. I'm following your God. 
I'm following. I'm following God. And if the if you if you going over there, that's where we going. I'm just I'm following after God. Your God is my God. So I'm not. So if you decide that's where you're going to go, that's where you guys where I'm going to. If we go to the book of Acts. We find that this um, that a group of people in the in the um, in the land of Berea, they, too, had an encounter with God. But their encounter did not result in them, you know, again, you know, doing, you know, what we sometimes expect people to do with the word. The brothers immediately said this is in Acts chapter 17, starting with verse 10, Acts 17, verse 10. The brothers immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea. And when they arrived, they went into the Jewish synagogue. Now, these Jews were more noble than those in Thessalonica. They received the word with all eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see if this if these things were were so. Many of them therefore believed with not a few Greek women of high standing as well as men. And so, again, they heard the word, but then they said, let me go check these scriptures. They knew they heard it. it was like, oh, this is good stuff. Let me go check. Let me go validate. So again, I'm not saying that your experience with God, if you, if you, you know, if it causes you to hoop, holler, speak in tongues, that sort of thing, that it's that that it's not authentic. But what I'm all, but what I am saying is that just because a person doesn't speak in tongues doesn't mean they don't have the Holy Spirit. Just because a person doesn't fall out on the floor doesn't mean that they haven't received the word from the Lord. Just because people are quiet doesn't mean that they haven't received the word from the Lord. It may be that the word of God has touched them in such a way to where they got to be quiet, to where they just shut up, to where they're listening, where their hearts are being trans, they're being transformed. And in their transformation, it's causing them to just get silent or to be thoughtful or to be provoking in some type of way. It does. Again, if you're shouting and praising and all that, hallelujah. I'm I, again, I ain't knocking it. I don't knock nobody who's doing anything in the name of the Lord. If you're doing it in the name of the Lord, who am I? I'm not about to blaspheme against the Holy Spirit saying that ain't of God. Not about to say that. But what I am saying is most often people think that at least in the churches that I've attended and the people that I've been around, that if you're not shouting, if you're not hooping, if you're not hollering, if you're not standing up, if you're not running wild, if you're not going crazy, if you're not, you know, dancing and all that, then something must be wrong with you. And the reality is, no, there's nothing wrong with you because you do not need people's validation in order to know that you're in the kingdom. The only validation you need is Christ because Christ is the only one who can authenticate your worship. And how do we know that? Because you have to believe with your heart and no man knows the heart of another man. Only God knows. Only the spirit knows. And so, yes, even people who look, who can, who can hoop, who can holler, who can dance, who can shout, who can do all those things can still have a heart so far away from God that when they get up to those gates, you know, God's going to say, I never knew you. And so again, it's not on me, it's not on you, it's not on anybody to know whether or not a person is a believer or not. We are fruit inspectors and we will inspect fruit, but it's not our place to, into, um, to know whether a person is a believer or not because that's God's work. 
And only Christ can truly authenticate whether a person is a believer, because, again, belief is in the heart. You can't just confess with your mouth because there are going to be a lot of people who are going to say, Lord, Lord. But you got to believe it in your heart. And only God knows the heart of his people. And so of saying all again that to say that when you pledge allegiance to God, when you pledge allegiance to Christ, Christ authenticates your belief. Christ does that work. Christ is the one who will say whether or not you're in or whether you're out. Can you imagine when Saul was on the road to Damascus and has his experience with God and now he goes into the same church that he was about to go and kill folk when they saw him? What must they have been thinking? What is he finna do? This is the same Saul who later became Paul, who just killed Christians yesterday. And now he's in the church with us. Why is he here? Should I go get a sword? That we don't know how God is working on people's hearts. All we can do is give them truth in hopes that it'll change their minds change their hearts and transform them. But even in the transformation, we can't judge a man for how that transformation takes place. We cannot judge a man for how he responds to the gospel. And so again, saying all that to say, if you believe in Jesus and the pardoning of your sins, you believe that with your heart and confess that with your mouth, welcome to the kingdom. If this same word that we preach today and any other day is hardening your heart and you're just adamantly against God, may God just continue to bless you. Now, we'll continue to give you truth. We're going to continue to love you, going to continue to, you know, you know, treat you kindly, you know, I hope and, you know, show you the love of Jesus through what we do and how we say. But at the end of the day, this this word has got to get in your heart and God's got to do that work. God's got to break that ground up. And so, again, for us as believers, it is not our job to save people. It's our job to give them truth and let God do the work of saving his people by the words that he gives us. This ministry of reconciliation is the is the purpose that he gives us, which we're going to talk about in a later sermon It's the purpose that he gives us. But in in that purpose. We are giving people the truth of what Christ has accomplished so that their souls might be saved. If they choose to go with God, to God be the glory. If they choose to be hardened against God, to God be the glory. It ain't our job to save people. It's just our job to tell people of the good news of Jesus and what he has done for us. And so if you are not a believer and you are wondering what happens, what am I supposed to do with this word? Repent. Turn from your wickedness, turn from your sins, turn from your idols, turn from your, comf your comforts, turn from the things that you believe are giving you peace and purpose and turn toward Jesus and push all of your chips in saying, if I'm wrong about Christ, I am doomed. If I'm wrong about him, that's game over for me. because. That is what it takes to be a believer in Jesus Christ. And Christ will authenticate your worship. Christ will authenticate, uh, authenticate your love. 
Christ will authenticate your devotion. Don't let man tell you, oh, you got to do this and you got to do that and you got to do this. No, all you got to do is repent and believe. All you got to do is repent and believe. God loves you and wants a relationship with you. All you got to do is repent and believe. And from there, we'll, we'll secure your ticket to heaven and your ticket to being one with God, securing eternal peace and eternal purpose with him. Now, that's the easy part. Next week, we're going to start talking about the hard part. But we'll save that for next time. Amen. Most gracious Heavenly Father, we come before you saying thank you for another blessed day in your presence. Lord God, we ask and pray, Lord, that you just touch those who are meant to follow you from this word. Whether it be today, whether it be somebody three years from now from watching a tape, Lord God, we ask and pray that you just touch and minister their hearts, minister to their hearts and take that heart of stone and replace it with a heart of flesh that can love and worship you the way that you intended. Lord God, we count our salvation not of our own. We didn't save ourselves. We haven't, we haven't saved ourselves. We ain't sanctified, sanctified ourselves. We ain't done none of that. It's all been you. And we're grateful for the work that you are doing in our hearts and in our minds. And ask that you just continue to minister to your people that they may grow to love you as we do. Yes. We're grateful for all that you've done. Grateful for all that you're doing and all that you continue to do. And ask that you just continue to just love us like only you can. You know, strengthen us like only you can build us up like you are, like only you can and help us to continue to be the disciple making disciples that you called us to be and to enjoy what you have given us, Lord God, with gratitude, with humility and in such a way that glorifies your name. We're grateful on today and we love you and give your name all praise, glory and honor in Jesus name. Amen.